Hello and welcome to Retrospection. In this episode, we're raising a risque eyebrow and slipping in a sultry innuendo as we take a look at Live and Let Die from 1973, the eighth James Bond film in the long-running series. My name's Colin. What are you, some kind of doomsday machine? And my name's Paul and get me a make on a white pimpmobile now. IMDB says James Bond is sent to stop a diabolically brilliant heroin magnate armed with a complex organisation and a reliable psychic tarot card reader. But it makes it sound like he has a device that's a tarot card reader, like it's a credit card reader. Can you just swipe your tarot card in there, please? <laughs> he, uh, he does kind of treat her like she's a device. Yeah, really? that is true. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, he refers yeah. to his property more than one occasion, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It stars Roger Moore as James Bond. Does it? It's <laughs> it does, apparently. Oh, right. I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yafit Koto as Kananga. Jane Seymour as Solitaire. Clifton James as Sheriff Pepper. Julius Harris as Teehee. Jeffrey Holder as Baron Samady. David Hedison as Felix Leiter. Gloria Hendry as Rosie. Bernard Lee as M. And Lois Maxwell as Moneypenny. It's directed by Guy Hamilton, written by Tom Mankiewicz. Music is by George Burton, with the theme written by Paul and Linda McCartney and performed by Wings. <laughs> Apparently when, um, when Paul McCartney played the song to John Barry originally first, he said, oh, no, no, that's a good demo, so what are you going to do for the real thing? Ah, see, now I have a different version of that story. I have it that George Martin played it to... Uh, I don't know if it's Broccoli or Saltzman and said it's great but who are we going to get to sing it? Well, Guy Hamilton, he's a, he's a veteran Bond director at this point, isn't he? He'd already done Goldfinger and Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, yeah. What, one of those is good. Oh, which one, Paul? Diamonds Are Forever, no. <laughs> I like Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, no, Goldfinger, obviously. They're both all right. I haven't got a problem. People, people really lay into Diamonds Are Forever but I think it's okay. The... I mean, this is a whole different subject, but the Bond film from this period that I'm, I'm kind of like, hmm, about is Thunderball. I would say, yeah, I would agree with you. Thunderball or um, I'm not a big fan of You Only Live Twice either. Mm. My problem with Thunderball is, is no matter what you do, is underwater sequences are dull. Yeah, they're all, and there's a lot of those things in, in yeah. all the Connery Bonds, isn't there? It was his thing in, yeah. in the same way that I suppose Snow was kind of Roger's thing. After Spy, wasn't it? Yeah. My problem with um, You Only Live Twice um, is it's kind of dull in places. Right. But my main problem is I just can't buy when they turn Bond into a Japanese person. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree. But is that a modern feeling? Did you mind when you watched it when you were younger? I probably didn't mind, but I probably even then... You, you do, it was it wrong. Looked, it looked a bit comical, you know. It was like, <laughs> Sean Connery, he's, he's a big guy, <laughs> you know. He, he kind of looks out of place. And yeah. it, 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 It's like I mean, Christopher it Lee playing Fu Manchu. Exactly. It's got that uncomfortable, creepy vibe to it that you're not yeah. quite... You don't quite even understand it when you're a kid, but now you, you, you know why it is yeah. wrong, you know. Um, yeah, so that always kind of puts me off it a little bit. Right. And it, and, it, and, it, and just as a story standpoint in that film, it, it, it kills it dead. That whole segment kills it dead. Going back to the music, it's a good song, right? It's a good theme. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, which of the Bond themes do you like the least? I would say it's probably a toss-up between um, Madonna's Die Another Day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or the one I actually don't like even more than Die Another Day is probably the garbage one, The World Is Not Enough. Right, yeah. I, 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 it, just, it just rubs me up the wrong way, that song. I don't know why. It doesn't feel like a Bond theme either. It just feels oh. like a garbage song. You know, you know, they would hire artists and they would turn in a, a Bond theme. That 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 it was one of their songs as well. It felt like one of their songs, but it also felt like a Bond theme. It felt like it fit. That, like that doesn't a, to me. a her doing exactly living living daylights. It, it still sounds yeah. like a her, but yeah. it also sounds like a Bond theme. Probably because Jim Barry was involved. Absolutely, and even like the modern ones, and we won't talk about the modern ones much. But but even like No Time to Die, the Billie Eilish song, you stick it on with those credits at the beginning of that Bond movie. It feels like a Bond theme. But right. even with the credits to World Is Not Enough, that garbage song still doesn't feel Bond to me. Hmm. Okay, I think it's more of a statement about where the British music scene was at the time, <laughs> rather than um, anything else, really. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. So what, what about you? I actually don't like Rita Coolidge's All Time High. Yeah, I, I, I could probably, I, I'd, I'd probably agree with you on that one. I don't think I like that one either. I find it instantly forgettable, and I can never remember which bloody film it's supposed to be attached to. <laughs> Do you think that might say something about the film as well, though? Possibly, because it's Octopussy yeah. is the film that's a theme for. But if, if you say, you, yeah, if you say to me, all time high, I'm like, oh, I have to think about it for a second. Do, do you find it strange? Octopussy did massive business, particularly in the US. It was one of the most successful Bond movies at the time. I find that really mm. strange because it, it's pretty bad, really. It's quite, it's quite boring. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed in the recent documentary about the Bond themes, they totally skipped it. Well, there's nothing to say, is there, really? <laughs> no, no, that's the problem with it. Yeah, I mean, the best thing about it is um, Stephen Burkoff. He's, he's the yeah. most memorable thing in it, really. And, yeah. um, and I think we all kind of, as much as we don't really like to admit it, because we're Roger fans, I think we kind of know that he, he shouldn't have been those last two. He probably shouldn't have done them. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think his time was done at that point. I think he knew it as well, don't you think? But if they're going to give him loads of money, he was going to do it. He was going to keep doing it. I think he openly says it uh, in his diaries and things like that, right? He does. He does. Doesn't he yeah. use the um, when he talks about a view to a kill? He realised it was all over when they were using the bed sheets to cover up his breasts rather than the. the... <laughs> That's right. That's one of his lines, right? Yeah, yeah. But talking, I guess we're talking of uh, the fact that this is Roger Moore's first Bond film. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of other actors were offered the role. In fact, it will be quicker and easier for us to talk about the actors that weren't offered the Bond role. <laughs> it would. I mean, it was everyone and their dog, wasn't it? Yeah, because I had to laugh because IMDb says that Clint Eastwood was offered <sighs> it but turned it down because he said 
that it should be played by a British actor. But Wikipedia says that Burt Reynolds was offered the role as Bond, but turned it down because he said it should have been played by... It's like, oh, okay. So one of these is either wrong, or I suppose it could both be right. Yeah. Well, I can't see... The only reason I can see Burt Reynolds turn it down is because it wasn't enough cash. Yeah, I would imagine that the, they weren't putting up enough money for Burt Reynolds at the time. I mean, Burt Reynolds would have been huge, wouldn't he, at this point? He was just starting to be huge, mm-hmm. yeah. 77 was his time. <laughs> can, you, um, can you see Burt Reynolds as James Bond? <laughs> yes. Can you? Yes, I can. Yep, totally. Oh, yep. I don't think so. In the Roger Moore style. Yes, no. There's a detective show he did called Dan August. It ran for like 26 episodes. And I've been watching that. And I've and some of the scenes I've been thinking, yeah, I could see him as, as Bond. Mm, yeah. I, ignoring the fact that he's an American. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, it, it wouldn't be the last time that an American would be considered. I mean... Um, yeah, but there was an American Bond in for a TV show, wasn't there? Yeah, that was the that was before the movies, wasn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Just a just a quick aside about Burt Reynolds when he was in Quinn Martin's office, being offered the role of Dan August. He told Quinn that he didn't want to play a, a detective on a TV show because cops in those shows never get the girl or any funny lines. And then apparently, as he was leaving the room, Quinn said the magic words, which was 50,000 a week. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, that, that's, Bert Reynolds said that, so I thought it was funny. He's a, he's a man after your own heart, Colin, isn't he? <laughs> he is, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Roger yeah. was um, 45 when he took on this role. Uh, oldest person to play Bond in their first film. Yeah, and um, apparently he was ordered by... Um, uh, Cubby Broccoli to lose weight for the role. I think he'd had some very good uh, living previously while he was doing the Persuaders. Oh, I was going to say, I figure back, Roger Burroughs, he never looked fat in anything I've ever seen him. No, he never looked fat, but if you go back and look at, at towards the end of, of that series of the Persuaders, he's, uh, he is looking a little bit on the uh, fuller side. Okay. Yeah, and I think, I think he was having okay. some good living on the Riviera with uh, Tony Curtis, I think. <laughs> um, but he looks he's in great shape in this movie isn't he best probably the best that you're ever going to see him as Bond really yeah George Lazerby is apparently the youngest at, in his 20s early 20s which when you look at him you're like oh oh 1970s early 20s where everyone looked like they were 40 <laughs> got it <laughs> yeah everyone smoked everyone drank yeah. uh, and, and he was Australian <laughs> diets were terrible he was Australian. I think he had quite a hard life as well, leading up to. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> what the way he's going with that? No, I think. I mean, he talks about it himself. Yeah. In that. Um... He does in, the, in that documentary. Yeah, yeah. So, this is the first Bond film for Roger Moore. First Bond film, I would say, to chase a genre that was popular at the time, like exploitation. Mm-hmm. First Bond film not to feature Bond in the pre-credits. Yeah, I was going to talk about that when it when when we get to it, but um, it's strange to not not only does it not feature Bond in 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 the pre credit sequence, but it's kind of a low key pre credit sequence to what we're used to now in a Bond movie, isn't it? Yeah, because uh, what we see is the three spies, and we don't really know the spies at this point. We just see three men being killed in different locations. Mm-hmm. We don't know who they are, and we don't know why they're being killed. 
Yeah, that's right. And Bond doesn't appear until after the credits. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's a mysterious opening, which is different. The, and the funny thing is that the, what we think of as a pre-credit sequence for Bond now, which is the big smashy explosion, explosion, explosion. I'm making my own words up. Yeah, is the big crashy, smashy, stunt-based thing that we always get now. That really didn't come into it until Spiral of Me, probably the first one. Yeah. First Bond film not to feature Q in person. Yeah, and apparently he wasn't very happy about it, was he, Desmond uh, Llewellyn? Mm. Yeah. He was doing a TV show at the time, wasn't he? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. First Bond film to have a rock track as its opening mm-hmm. theme. And first Bond film to be set in a fictional country. Yeah, and um, isn't the only other one licensed to kill? Or is that not actually set in Mexico? It, is that they make it, up? A it's a made-up country that that he's the, oh. the the leader of Sanchez. Yeah. Ah, okay. So this film um, was successful. Although a lot of people tried... Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, pal. It's just a lot of... <laughs> I thought I it killed the franchise. A lot of people <laughs> always say that... Um, I think it's the next one that wasn't as successful. Man with the Golden Gun didn't do as well. Yeah. Um, this one was. And I, but people tend to like to say that, that, you know, people were a bit unsure about more to begin with. Uh, fair enough. And he didn't yeah. really find his feet completely until Spy Who Loved Me. Um, right. But I disagree. I think when you watch this film, and I'll, we'll, we'll talk about it at the end, I think he was pretty much on point right from the get-go. Well, it's clear that the script has been rewritten for him. Yeah, and, and there's there's some ad-libbing that he did later that we'll, we'll talk about as well. Um, oh. But on a $7 million budget, this film made $161.8 million in the US. Really $7 million? Yeah, $7 million. <laughs> That's insane, isn't it? How much, how much are Bond films now? $200 million plus? It's amazing, isn't it? I know. Yeah. Oh, my God. But, but to make 100, $161 I mean, million out of, out of $7 million, that's a hit, isn't it? Oh, yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, even when you factor in inflation, where's the money going now? Well, I mean, they spend... They must spend a cool five, six, seven million just on promotion alone. Probably more than that. Yeah, that's true. You know? Yeah. So the, these, this, why these movies now? If they don't make three hundred million, they're they're considered flops, aren't they? Yep. Which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just not sustainable. It's not. No, we we need to go back to no, making it, it, mid-budget movies. I think, don't we? Yeah. And when we talk mid-budget now, thirty million yeah. is mid-budget, mm-hmm. I guess. You know, and stop chasing a billion dollars return because you're not always going to no. get it. No, I think the only genre that that still manages to pull off sort of mid-budget movies and then make a, a big a big take-home on it is the horror genre. Yeah, having a resurgence mm. recently. They're cheap to make as well. Yeah, considering you know, yeah. uh, in, relatively speaking, you know. Um, yes. Sean Connery turned down $5.5 million to come back as Bond for a seventh time in this movie. I mean, when, you, when the budget for your film is $7 million, <laughs> <laughs> what, would the, what would the rest of the film be like? Just cardboard cutouts? <laughs> I know, I know. He did give his approval to Roger Moore, though, and he called him an ideal Bond. Yeah. But they did go out of their way uh, to separate Moore's Bond from... 
Connery's bomb. Yeah, they did. Uh, he doesn't drink martini in this mm-hmm. film. He doesn't smoke cigarettes. He smokes mm-hmm. cigars. Which I think might have been suggested by Roger himself because we, we know he liked a cigar, <laughs> don't we? <laughs> he likes a yeah. good cigar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I've just remembered that uh, Michael Billington was also in line to play Bond for this film. He's actually in The Spy Who Loved Me. He's the Triple X's guy that he yeah. kills in the opening uh, pre-credit yeah. sequence, isn't he? And he's in an episode of The Professionals. I can see that guy as Bond. Yeah, I don't know enough about him as a as a personality, physically mm. and like visually for that time. He's definitely mm. oh, yeah. in line for Bond. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Can you imagine though, like... I mean, I'm sure the guy's happy and he had a good career and enjoys it, but <laughs> you must sit there and think, oh, I was that close to being Bond. Yeah, there's, there's very few actors who missed out on Bond and then went on to fantastic things. I mean, Burt Reynolds probably never looked at Bond and went, oh, I missed out there because he became like the biggest star ever for yeah. a decade almost. He was like mm-hmm. number one box office for like 10 years. He has a record. But he didn't that. need it, really. So... But yeah, uh, yeah, it was just interesting that they thought about him. But the, the, in the 70s, there was clearly a look that they were going for. Uh, yeah, um, how can I put it? A, a real man, a real 70s man. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is, if you think about it really, Roger doesn't really fit that bill, does he? No, it doesn't. At all, really. I mean, he's quite, he's quite a feat, isn't he? And he's, you know, he's, he hasn't got the hairy chest. <laughs> you know, he's... Um... Does he not? I think it's fairly hairy. I haven't looked at it recently. No, 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 Wait. no. Oh, no, it is clean-shaven. Yeah, I remember mm-hmm. now because he takes his vest off at one he, point he, in this he, film. He yeah. takes his shirt off quite a lot in this one. <laughs> well, at, at some points in this film, his clothing decisions... Oh, don't, we'll talk about that, don't you worry. I'm on full clothing duty on this one, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. Oh. A strange um, thing that that I read, which kind of an indictment of the time really was that all of bond's love scenes with rosie carver were removed from the release in south africa because of that government's apartheid policies at the time yeah yeah and apparently yafit koto had more on one more than one occasion said that he was kept from doing press for the movie because the producers were afraid of all the public reaction of having a black bond villain and he wasn't even invited to the premiere if you were that afraid of it, why make this kind of movie? Yeah, I have no answer to that. It, it just, if you were scared of it, you'd stay away from it, wouldn't you? You wouldn't go near it at yeah. all. Yeah. And Yafit Koto is not exactly a small-time actor. Even at that time, he'd been in uh, one of my favourite black exploitation films, Across 110th Street. It's a great film. Oh, right, okay. So, yeah, so people knew him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also Tom Mankiewicz originally wrote the lead character, Solitaire, she was supposed to be black. And it was vetoed by the producers. Mm, okay. Which, which would kind of make more sense. Yeah, it totally would. Famously, I think you mentioned it earlier, Roger Moore kept a production diary of the shoot, didn't he? Yeah, it was released as a book, as a which book. I haven't read yet. I, I keep meaning to, and for some reason I've not got around to it yet. Yeah, I've read his other two. I've read his biography, and I've also read the, I think there's another one called Bond on Bond. Where he kind of like yes, I've read both yeah. those, yeah. but I've not read the diary, which is, which is weird for both of us not to have read it because it's it's right up our street, isn't it? Really, yeah, 
It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was published in 1973. And so fact, it's not like we haven't had. It's not like it's just come out. And we haven't had time. No, it came out before we were born. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, it, it apparently it's a warts and all. He talks about you know behind the scenes arguments and things like that. Are you aren't you surprised that the Broccoli's allowed it to actually be released as a book? Because they're usually quite protective of all that kind of stuff, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um... And maybe that says more about Roger Moore's star status. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Yeah. And there's always a kind of, I would imagine that as much as he talks about in the book, as I say, we neither of us have read it, but I would imagine reading his other books that as much as he's talking about all the stuff from behind the scenes, he's kind of doing it in a self-deprecating kind of way for himself as well. Yeah. I, I did hear a good Roger Moore story recently. Um, there was a commercial for whiskey. I said whiskey. Let me rephrase. There was a commercial for an alcoholic drink. I can't remember if it was beer or whiskey or something. And they wanted Roger Moore to do it. And Roger Moore said, yes, but you have to film it in Ireland for tax reasons. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we're like, fine, that's fine. So... The scene was that he would enter a pub and the pub would go quiet because he's like, Roger Moore. And then he'd be like, oh, the one thing about being, the problem with being famous is that, you know, this kind of thing happens. Mm-hmm. That, that was it. And he would be offered a drink and he would take it. And that would be it. And that was the scene. So he turned up and the director was like, do you mind if we film the rehearsal? Because sometimes, you know, good stuff happens. Mm-hmm. It's like, hmm, that's a rather good idea. So they go like, action. Roger Moore enters. Audience goes quiet. He walks to the bar. And the guy, there's a guy sitting next to him. The guy's supposed to go, oh, yeah, can I buy you a drink? And then Roger Moore is supposed to say, well, this is one of the problems. Where, you know, that kind of thing. So he walks in. Crowd goes quiet walks to the bar, sits down. The guy goes, oh, yeah, can I buy you a drink? Roger Moore turns to him and goes, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> the bar goes quiet for a second and then everybody starts laughing. And then Roger Moore turns to the director and goes, uh, would you like to go again? <laughs> that was fun. David Hedison, who plays Felix Leiter, he probably the only other actor to, to play it twice. Well, other than, you mean play Felix Leiter twice? twice? Yeah. Oh, do you mean Felix uh, Leiter yeah. twice? Because okay. he turns up again in the Timothy Dalton License to Kill movie as the same character. He does, yeah. And Roger had a few health problems during this production. He was hospitalised with kidney stones, and also later both he and Jane Seymour caught dysentery, which was nice. Oh, lovely! I also read that he he was actively discouraged from raising his eyebrow, which obviously didn't didn't take, <laughs> did it? Do you remember um, Spitting Image in the 80s? That was all his puppet did, wasn't it? It was raise his eyebrow all the time. They they used to call it Roger Mortis. And the one thing that um, I was quite surprised about was um, apparently Jane Seymour is dubbed a lot of the time in the movie by another actress who sounds remarkably like Jane Seymour. Yeah, I never knew that and never noticed. Mm-hmm. I think it's to say it's like and I'm you. It's like Sam Jones being dubbed by a guy that sounds exactly like Sam Jones in Flash Gordon, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, 
I'm usually pretty like good at noticing stuff like that because it bothers me. Mm. But nope, never knew that. Uh, Bernard Lee was very, very unwell during filming, and he was almost replaced at one point with Kenneth Moore. Oh, that would have been an interesting choice. Mm. They filmed in Harlem, and you're going to talk about that later, aren't you? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. The yeah. producers apparently were forced to pay protection money to a gang to ensure that the crew were safe. The production crew had to go to Harlem to look for locations mm-hmm. where to film, and Harry Saltzman considered Harlem to be so dangerous that they needed a bodyguard. Mm-hmm. So the production crew were waiting for the bodyguard, who never turned up, so they just went and did their stuff anyway. And it turns out the bodyguard had been mugged on the subway train on the way there. They stole his ticket, his money, his wallet, and made him undo his pants. <laughs> Do I, should I ask why? So they couldn't. So he couldn't chase them. Oh, I see. Because right. he'd have to. He'd have to do his <laughs> pants up and put his pants back up, and that gave him time to leg okay. it. Okay. Yeah. I'm guessing. New, yeah. I mean, you live in New York. I'm guessing it's mm-hmm. a very different yeah. place now than it was back then. Well, I, I did a, a quick look around at the locations that they filmed in. A lot of them are not in Harlem. They're in New mm. York, but not as high up in Manhattan as they pretend to be. And they must have redressed the street signs. And it, uh, yeah, it's almost unrecognizable now because it's all like fancy places mm-hmm. and bars and nice cafes and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's locations in this movie that look like, and we'll, we'll talk about it, but they look like war zones. Well, you say that, but think about Docklands, London in 1970s. Yeah. I mean, don't forget that <laughs> a full metal jacket set in Vietnam, mm-hmm. war-torn country, was filmed in the Docklands of London. Yeah, so could... the 70s were a hard time. Yeah, it was Canary <laughs> Wharf, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know. uh, and the last thing I was going to say is that, according to Roger Moore, um, his good relationship with Harry Saltzman changed once they became employer and employee. He'd always gotten along with him until they did this movie. Yeah, we should also point out that Cubby and Harry at this point were not exactly no, friends. No, it was it was all starting to disintegrate, I think, wasn't it, behind the scenes? Yeah, and there's a scene early on the film that makes me think it's a dig at Harry Saltzman, although I've been told that Harry Saltzman was the main producer of this film, not Cubby, but I'm not... I, I, the scene we'll talk about in a minute. Okay, shall we crack on? Yeah, so I guess we open with like, is it a disco theme with the 007 music? I think it is. I think it's it is. It's a bit funky, right? It is a bit funky. I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate it too. Yeah, and we get an aerial shot of New York City and uh, we get the scenes where three different people are killed, one in the UN building, one in New Orleans. There's something about that opening United Nations scene just made me think of Batman 66 all over again. I was waiting for them to turn in, <laughs> to be turned into collared sand. <laughs> Sad. <laughs> At least it looked bigger than the one in the Batman film, which is just like six people around the table. Around the table, yeah. And nobody reacts to it, to him collapsing. 
in agony. Everyone just carries on. Well, that's the you ahead for you. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it's probably quite true, really, isn't they, it? They do eventually, just before it cuts to uh, San Monique in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. But it's a guy like tied up, or he's going to be killed by a snake. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's our opening pre-credit sequence. Yeah, we get the we also get the guy getting stabbed on the uh, street corner, don't we, in New Orleans? Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. Did you see that the um, the I love the name of the 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 club Filet of Soul. Yeah, that's carried through to the New York location mm-hmm. too. It's always called the Filet of Soul. Yeah. It's um, it's like oh, I was thinking, you know, that that funky place. You keep the fish sort of theme going. No. <laughs> what funky place? Have I missed something here? You know, a place. It's a fish, isn't it? Oh, oh, was it? that was. That was what we in the trade call a pun. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it more it was to do with like the existential soul. Oh, did you? That it was being cut, okay. filleted. Well, it does have kind of a. This movie does have kind of a, a supernatural vibe to it, doesn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably the only yeah, time that you ever get that in a Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So after the credit sequence. We have mm-hmm. Bond in bed with a with a woman who turns out to be an Italian spy, Caruso, played by Madeline Smith. Mm-hmm. And um, I read that Roger's uh, overprotective wife was on set during <laughs> this bedroom scene. <laughs> yeah. And according to Maddie Smith, that caused quite a few complications on the day. In fairness, mm. if you were married to Roger Moore and you learned that he was going to be working <laughs> in a bed scene with Madeline Smith, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who, let's face it, is stunning. Absolutely, yes. You would be on edge. But I wouldn't turn up on set. <laughs> I would hopefully trust my husband enough. <laughs> Especially, it's like a working environment. It's not like he's taking her out for a that, day. This is true. This is true. Yeah. You're surrounded by grips and lighting crew mm-hmm. and, you know. Mm. Yeah, I but agree. it is Madeline Smith. It is Madeline Smith, yes. And we love Madeline Smith. Oh, do we ever. Wait, am I allowed to say that? I think <laughs> so. I think, I think that's perfectly fine to say. And we see um, Bond's flat. And it's a very... We it's do. A very not, nine... not the first time. Is it not? It's a different flat. No, we see it in... Doctor No. Because he goes home and finds... Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Yeah, because he has... In, in Doctor No, doesn't he have a... Uh, oh, wait, I may be confusing it with the actual book where he has, like, a maid. <laughs> I don't remember him having a maid in the movie. Right, but in the in book... Uh, sorry, in the film, he goes home and he finds the woman that he met earlier at the casino. There, right? Sylvia Trench. You're Sylvia Trench, thank mm-hmm. you. Who was going to be his like girlfriend in multiple Bond films? Yeah, because I think they dropped that idea. Isn't she in the beginning of From Russia with Love? The next yeah. one, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would yeah. have been a nice idea to yeah. keep it going. It would have been, yeah. I- I'll take this 70s yeah. bachelor pad any day over uh, Daniel Craig's Spartan flat that he's got in his movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then M turns up and he, uh, it, Bond has to hide. His Italian spy, mm-hmm. Caruso. And then there's a scene where he's making coffee. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> were espresso machines kind of a, like 
a new thing back then. Because they treat, they film it like it's a gadget, like like it's a like it's a Bond gadget. Yeah, well, this makes me feel like it's a dig at Harry Saltzman. Oh, okay, go on. And I'll explain why. Harry Saltzman was the producer of the Ipcrest file. Okay. Which yes. has a scene mm-hmm. in the very beginning where Michael Caine spends a lot of time making coffee. Why is that scene in the Ipcrest file? Because Harry Saltzman had invested in that coffee machine. <laughs> a very famous scene right? as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is this a dig at Harry Saltzman's failure at that investment? Because M says, is that all it does? I never thought about that. Yeah, could be. Uh, I was curious. It's a a very um, open way to have a dig at your business partner, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But, I mean, they were at war. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, apparently Saltzman was producing this film hands-on. So would he have allowed that? I Mm. don't know. Maybe he just didn't see it. I mean, maybe he didn't see that it was a dig at the time. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Did you learn that the the scene where uh, Bond undresses Caruso using the magnetic power on his watch. It took 29 times to get that scene right. Yeah, yeah, 29 times. Mm. Are you you saying there was some ulterior motive there? Yeah. Yes. (laughs) No no wonder his wife was on set. It's like, uh, uh, can we we go again? Just uh, one more time. (laughs) It's a very, very low-tech way they did it, wasn't it? It was just like a thin wire attached to it, and they just pulled it down. Wasn't there a bloke under a dress yeah. or something yeah. with a piece of string? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how many hands went up, do you think, when they said, do, who wants to do this? <laughs> it's like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I thought you were talking about hands. Uh, uh, it's, it's the German The German guy. Crew. Yeah. The, you know, he yeah, pops yeah. up a lot yeah. in our podcast, doesn't he? He does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always at the wrong moment. He does. Yes. Always at the wrong moment. Isn't it weird, though, that M goes to Bond's house? I read that that, again, was a conscious decision to separate it from the Connery era. So rather than him having his briefing in that room where where he always goes, they're going to try and do something different with it. It's still weird. Can you imagine your boss turning up at your house? (laughs) You wouldn't open the door, would you? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. No. No. You just pretend you're asleep and you've not heard it. Yep, Yep. exactly. Mm -hmm. When he, when Roger steps out of that uh, airport with his long coat and suit on, how cool does he look? Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's the moment he becomes Bond. It is with that music over the top of that scene. That, that mm-hmm. that's it. Exactly. You're in that. Yeah. Yeah. So so he's making his way to Manhattan to meet Felix Leiter, mm-hmm. and we get a little chase sequence. There's a car drives alongside and shoots Bond with a like a weapon from the wing mirror. Yeah, why do they kill the driver with the dart? Why not? If they've got that and they just want Bond dead, why not just shoot it at Bond? Job done. So it looks like an accident. But they'll find the dart in his head, won't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, scratch I just said that. <laughs> I said that. Delete that bit. Let me think about this. For no, a there, there's a lot of that in this film, Colin. Wait, wait. His window is open. Bond's isn't. So it wouldn't have, it would just bounced off the glass is what you're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. We can go with that. Yeah, she's just firing multiple arrows and just got <laughs> bunk, 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 bouncing off the wind. <laughs> it was like, wind down your window. <laughs> what? 
can you can you wind window wind it down for us? What why? Cause cause uh yeah um <laughs> I need to ask you directions. Oh hold on then. Yeah yeah winding it down. What? That's what would have happened, Paul. Yeah, all right. I'll I'll go with that. I'll go with that. But there are instances all through this film of of they could just kill Bond and they do these elaborate things that... uh, But that's Bond, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, yeah. I look forward to you pointing out the rest of them. It looks very cinematic, this whole bit, though, doesn't it? This car scene. I'd hope so. It's a film. (laughs) I mean, it's shot very well. Guy, Guy Hamilton oh, as well. Okay. well. It was probably second unit, wasn't it? I would imagine not Guy Hamilton. Yeah, Guy, guy sat at home smoking cigars. <laughs> and then we see Yafet Koto, first, uh, his first scene. Um, I think he's great in this movie. He's like really calm, collected. But when he goes, it really it's really quite jarring because he's so quiet most of the time. Yeah, apparently Roger Moore said he was hard to work with. Which he pushes back on, doesn't he? Or he did. Yeah, he says he was he was just quiet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was respectful and polite to everybody. Yeah, maybe maybe Roger I mean Roger liked to have fun, didn't he, I think. I think maybe it's just a different working yeah. style. I think that's probably how it is. Different different acting method. And Yafit Koto did say that you know, he didn't feel like he had much to work with script wise, so he, he had to you know, find 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 the character himself in a way. Right, and I, I think also he felt he had something to live up to because he was the first black Bond villain. I think there probably was a lot of that, I would imagine, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't say that, he says mm-hmm. that. He says, like, because he'd been the first black person in space in Alien. And, yeah. You know, the first black Bond mm-hmm. villain. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes... So Bond goes to the shop, doesn't he? He does, yeah, yeah. The, the shop that sells voodoo stuff in Manhattan, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> I think I've hung out in shops like this, Colin. I imagine mm. you have, yeah. yeah. Looking, looking for ri- ritual schools and things to... Uh... <laughs> yes, go on. I was going to say fuck, <laughs> but I changed my mind at the last second. <laughs> no, no skull, no skull fucking, Colin. No, no. Not, not, not anymore. No, no, no. no, no, no. Um, there's a great gag when um, he asks for the lady to wrap the, the snake lengthwise. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll take a longer, so it gives it time to sneak out the back. <laughs> but but it's a snake. How can you wrap it? You, you're going to have to wrap it lengthwise no matter what you do, aren't you? I like my sausages wrapped lengthwise, so why wouldn't I like my steaks the same way? <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. I really like the scene when all the undercover cops are tracking Bond and they're just, they're just kind of like just taking the piss out of him, aren't they? Oh, now this is interesting because I didn't think they were undercover cops. I thought they all were a network that worked for Kananga. No, because one of them uh, ends up talking to uh, the guy that helps him later. Is his name Stryker? Strutter? Uh, yeah. That guy. He's Because he's, he's obviously he's one of Felix's guys. Well, this is interesting because I've seen this film like mm-hmm. hundreds of times and I've always assumed it was part of Kananga's network, not that it no, was the I cops. No, I always assumed that it, oh, that the it was the cops tracking him. Mm-hmm. All right. So he's making his way up mm-hmm. to Harlem, and uh, so he follows the car to the nightclub, which is called the mm-hmm. Filet of Soul, like the one in New Orleans, and he enters, and obviously he's the only white dude in the mm-hmm. entire place. They all kind of make fun of him, don't they? 
Yeah, because he orders a drink and then he's like, uh, without ice, and they're like, well, that's extra <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And the booth spins around, doesn't it? It does. And this is where we get to meet Teehee. I love a Bond villain with a gimmick, don't you? In fact, it was it was nice to see a, a return to it in No Time to Die. We we got we got a little bit of a gimmick yeah. with the guy with the robotic eye, didn't we? Yeah, and this this guy's gimmick is his metal claw. Although uh, in this scene, you can clearly see that he's holding <laughs> the metal thing inside his sleeve. I think you can see that in every scene. And what he, uh, well, this is just like blatant because he takes Bond's gun and bends it, and you can also see the seam mm-hmm. in the gun where mm-hmm. it's going to bend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This scene does not do well in HD. I was going to say, you probably couldn't see that originally, could you? Right, no, because it was quick and everything. Mm -hmm. But in 4K, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah." (laughs) I can see that's a fake gun. That's that's the problem I have with Derek Medin's uh, miniatures in Bond movies. 4K and and even back with Blu-ray didn't do it any favours, I don't think. Especially water stuff. Uh, yeah, water stuff's always mm. tricky for this kind of thing because the waves always look way too big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody um, does the James Bond line quite like Roger, though, do they? What do you mean? He's, he's, when he introduces himself to Solitaire, I get goosebumps every time he says that line for the first time when he, when he does the whole, my name's Bond, James Bond. It just right. flows in a way that no other actor doing it, even Connery, it, it just doesn't doesn't mm. feel as good as when Roger does it. Burton and Dalton. Dalton never really says it, does he? Really, apart from he says it at the beginning of of um, Living Daylights to the late lady on the boat, doesn't he? Yeah, and he kind of tosses it off the line. Well, I think that's done on purpose, yeah. right? And then in License to Kill, he he tries to say it to Sanchez, and Sanchez just cuts him off. Right. And there's a cutting off in this film too, yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and Daniel Craig, I think they went the opposite way just because they felt they had to. Oh, of course, yeah, obviously, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Brosnan enjoys it though. <laughs> yeah, well, um, Brosnan is kind of an amalgamation of of Moore and Connery, isn't he? And a little bit of Dalton. He's he's a mix of everything that's come before, I think. He's a mix of everything that's come before, but he wants to be Daniel Craig. And I, I don't mean Daniel Craig as in the sense of Daniel Craig. I mean that kind of gritty bond. Yeah. I don't think he was ever allowed to be, was he? No. Because he really wanted to do Casino Royale, didn't he? And I think he was quite gutted yeah. when, when he, he yeah. didn't get to do it. Yeah, and and the last one he did is no, that, that's no service to him whatsoever. And if you if you want to hear what you what we think about that, we've we've done that episode, so check it out. It's in our back catalogue. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, back to this movie. What do you think of um, Mr. Big's makeup? Then, I mean, I think it's fine because it's not like he's supposed to be another person. He's supposed to be a guy with makeup. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw through it the first time I ever saw this movie as a kid. I don't. I no. don't think I knew that the twist was that he was the same. That he was. The, he was Kananga right. in disguise. Right. So it works. I think. Yeah, I think so mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I'm happy with it. So then the next scene is um, the goons take Bond outside to kill him. 
Yeah, and this alleyway was actually it's 118th Street kind of, and that that's in Harlem, and you know those cables that are dangling down, mm-hmm. and then Bond like pushes them aside. Those cables were somewhere else, and Guy Hamilton was like, "Oh, let's have those cables in the shot," and then Bond could just push them aside. So they cut the cables down and repositioned <laughs> them, and as they were about to film, the telephone company turned up, and they were like angry because they were like all the phones have gone out they oh, were working no. yesterday what's going on and all the production crew were like oh I've, I've no idea they all pretended not to know what had happened basically they'd <laughs> cut the telephone cables for the neighborhood oh wow <laughs> it, it looks like a war zone this place though doesn't it yeah i mean new york in the 70s was on its knees mm. yeah i've heard that yeah so this this character that turns up um, in the next scene that helps Bond. he um, I would quite happily watch a spin-off with this character. I think he's great. Yeah, he's good, right? He's so miserable and sarcastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can see why he appeals to you. I would have thought he'd appeal to you more, Colin. There's no need to desperately turn it on to me. <laughs> you turned it on to me first. It's because you're the one who loves him. <laughs> anyway... I was quite I was quite sad when he dies later in the movie. Oh, spoiler. Wow. <laughs> Is there anyone who hasn't seen this movie? Come on. <laughs> so so we get to see um Jeffrey Holder as Baron Samadhi. Is it Samadhi? Samadhi? What's French for something? something. He's fan- he's French. fantastically over the top, isn't he, in this movie? Yes. Apparently he hated yeah. snakes. In real life. Hmm. That's unfortunate, considering his role <laughs> in this film. And apparently when he had to fall into the casket with real snakes, apparently. I don't know why they use real snakes, because you can't see them. You no, don't but, see them. But no. apparently they were real snakes. He really didn't want to do it, but he did it because there was the set was getting a royal visit that day, and he, he didn't want to look loose face. Personally, I would have been like, no, no, just make them rubber. No one can see them. Yeah, Doesn't exactly. Matter. Exactly. But maybe he didn't feel like he could speak up. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Uh, I always love a good Bond hotel scene where he uses gadgets to locate all the listening devices in the room. There's something feels very... I mean, that goes all the way back to Connery, doesn't it? I think he does that in the very first Bond movie, doesn't he? He does. Why does he stand at the window and point it out the window and press it? Isn't he signalling the boat? Oh, is that what he's doing? So this device that detects bugs also... Not the same device, bugs? I don't think. Oh, is I think he's got device? a do- He's got the device that he's going to send because he's he's about to do the signaling to the boat and then he sort of stops and thinks better of it, doesn't he? And then he takes out this other device and looks around for listening devices. Ah, okay. I missed missed him Mm -hmm. switching devices. Okay. But yeah, I always think it's something very Bond about watching watching him walk around a a room trying to find all these listening devices and cameras and things. Mm -hmm. It's what you do in every hotel room you stay at, right? Oh, absolutely. No, I put them in. You put... I'll bring my own. Do yeah. you? You put listening devices in people's hotel yeah. rooms? Yeah, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you do, is it, Paul? All right. That's interesting. Video cameras behind the mirrors. Yeah, we'll leave that one there. So they try and kill Bond with a snake. Yes. Yes, they release it from a vent while he's having a shave in the bathtub. <laughs> is that maybe it's a seventies thing? Is that a thing people do in the seventies? You run the bath. You got in it. You had a shave. And then you got out. <laughs> and he doesn't wash his hair or anything, does he? 
No, he doesn't wash anything. He just has a shave and then gets out. <laughs> he, he like, are you going to have a shave? Oh, I've got to run the bath first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Everything about this looks 70s, though, doesn't it? It, it does. It feels yeah. 70s, yeah. yeah. But what, why don't they just shoot him? I mean, that Whisper guy even brings him a bottle of champagne in a minute. So why doesn't he just shoot him? Why, why go to all this trouble of pushing a snake through through the thing to bite him? Oh, here we go. Come on. Because then somebody would investigate the crime. But if he's bitten by a snake, it's not a crime, is it? He's just bitten by a snake. Ah, so this, again, you're using the same reasoning for, for why they wanted to make it look like an accident with the, with the dart. No, because you cut that out because that was a silly thing I said. Oh, no, no, I haven't cut it out, Colin. Oh, okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, but th this would look like an accident if it was a snake. I mean, who are you going to arrest, the snake? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to put handcuffs on a snake. They just slide out. It, it, it would probably throw a hissy fit anyway. All right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> Every time you're out, you get pulled back in, Colin. Right by the asp. <laughs> See? You can't help yourself. No, I can't. It's just, you, that, is, that is very true. <laughs> it's got me into trouble many a time. <laughs> well, I'm leaving that in. That's <laughs> <laughs> staying in. So after he blasts the snake, he, he calmly squirts a bit of the aftershave on his face and walks into the bedroom. Classic Bond. It's classic Bond, but it's a weird kind of cologne. Who has a spray cologne? <laughs> Maybe, but we don't know. Could be a 70s, 70s thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all right. Yeah. But that sums up the character for me. That's how he, Bond should be played. That's the, the uh, adjusting your necktie underwater kind of thing exactly exactly uh, i i know that now it's it uh, bond is all about trying to make him feel more real mm -hmm. but, which always seems ridiculous to me because it's james bond yeah he's a spy who uses his name exactly and oh uh, he's got he needs to be a more emotional person i'm pretty sure that being an emotional person as a spy is going to get you killed yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, they, gonna, they, they, they burn that out of you in your training. It's going to cause you to make the incorrect decisions. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And going back to when we were talking about Timothy Dalton, people's, one of the criticisms of, of Dalton's Bond is they say he was an emotional, cold machine. Mm -hmm. But you watch those movies, he's not. In fact, he's probably <laughs> seething in... <laughs> he is the angriest Bond that we have. He is, isn't have. he? Yeah. 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 Um, but you, in, in, you never feel that... Um, which is, you never feel that those emotions that he's feeling are going to get in the way of what he's got to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he even quits being a, an agent in Licence to Kill, but he still gets the job done. You never feel like he's, he, he's letting it interfere with, with what's happening. Well, he quits so he can get the job Exactly. Done. But um, I don't know. I think, you know, 
the Daniel Craig, he's one step away from bursting into tears a couple of times in those movies. Yeah. So he's, a, he's a modern guy, I suppose. Yeah, he's in touch yeah. with his feelings. Yeah, yeah, like you, Colin. Like you, man. Oh, I thought, you, I thought you were saying you like me. I was a bit weirded out there for a second. <laughs> God, this is a little too touchy-feely. Um, Roger says the line, I'm sure we'll be able to lick you into shape. And all I could think of was, and so the Roger era begins, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's because he's met Rosie Carver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of Rose, Rosie Carver, I mean, she's not going to mm-hmm. sleep with him at first, is she? She's She's... She's quite strong. I mean, I know we're going to find stuff out. Well, she's not that strong because yeah. no, yeah. that's right. Yeah, she's like strong for what five seconds <laughs> till she and then she sees like a hat with feathers yeah. of blood in it, and he yeah. and he's just like, what does Bond say? He says, "Oh, it's just a small-headed man who's had a lost a fight with a chicken," <laughs> <laughs> and then and then she's like, "Oh, stay with me, James." Don't leave me to like, and he's like, oh, don't worry, darling. Uh, yeah, but I mean, she at first you think to yourself, oh, she's she's playing it like you know she's a bit dim, isn't she? But then you you, mm-hmm. you, you know, <laughs> spoilers, you find out later that that's an act. Yes. Yeah. So it's 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 yeah. not what it appears to be at first. Well, this, I mean, I know I'm stretching it. I know. <laughs> And you are stretching it, but this does go back to our age-old discussion about the idea of Bond women being ornaments mm. is not exactly accurate, and it's been misused over time. Because for the time period that these films were made in, some of the Bond women have actually been the strongest characters of that period. Absolutely. Triple X in Spy Who Loved Me. I beg your pardon? Tri- oh, Triple okay, X. sorry. Or Holly, <coughs> Goodhead, in uh, Moonraker. She's, she's... <laughs> yeah, the, the, the names are the problem. Like Pussy Galore, for example. Yeah. It's, a, it's a stupid name, and that's a name that causes an issue. Mm-hmm. But the character itself, yeah. she was a... I mean, she was a leader of pilots. Mm-hmm. She was a pilot, mm-hmm. for a start, which was unusual at that time period. Uh, and she led a squadron of female pilots. And she gives Bond and as, and good, as, she, as Bond. good as he... She gets. Yeah, it? I mean, there is that issue where he he uh, uh, yeah, converts. Yeah. Yeah. Her, I suppose, <laughs> but, you know, we'll, we'll just rush across that at great speed. Yeah, you you you'd have slept with uh, Sean Connery, wouldn't you? Oh God, yeah, in a hurt. Yeah, me. yeah. Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he'd have slapped me if I didn't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. I suppose I have to stretch a little bit for to try to get some sort of character out of Rosie because Solitaire's the one that's there's yeah there's nothing there is there really no there's not there's not mm. but we'll talk about that yeah uh, yeah um so it's the next morning and this is where we can talk about Roger's clothes I guess <laughs> so. He's wearing denim pants, right? He's wearing yeah, jeans. Yeah, yeah, and a denim jacket as well. And he's wearing a denim jacket. And is it a is it a string vest or is it just a vest? I think vest? it's just a vest. Yeah. It's not a great look, is it? Oh, I don't know. This is going to be my summer 2023 look. Is yeah. it? Really? Yeah, I think it would look great. Okay. Yeah, you, 
You don't like being with other people, Ben. <laughs> what are you saying? In fact, this is actually an improvement of what you usually hey, wear. You can imagine me wearing that, that vest, you know. I try not to. <laughs> not with those nipples. You'll dream about it tonight. I won't. You will. You Unless will. I have a nightmare. <laughs> my, my dog had its first nightmare the other day, howling during the night. Now I know what he was thinking about. I think it's a great look. I like it. No, it, it's... Is it the worst? I'm going to say right now, without thinking too deeply about the other costumes, that this is the worst Bond look. Worse than a safari suit? No, I like the safari jacket. I think that's quite good. Oh, okay. All right. It's very Alan, Alan Parker. Bond... Bond is, yeah, but that's that's because he's ruined it. No, no, I you know, can't. I know. You can't. In hindsight, Bond is always on the hunt, so a safari jacket is perfect. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. It's a shame that Kananga drops the line about Rosie being efficient, isn't it? Because don't you think it would have been a bigger moment for us as an audience to figure it out with Bond, rather yeah. rather than get the hint up front? Yeah, yeah. Plus, after Kananga's line, the actress starts to play Rosie a bit more shifty all of a sudden, doesn't she? Well, maybe, yeah. Maybe she knows the game's up, but she's trying to get around mm. it, right? Mm -hmm. So they, they go and take a boat out, don't they? Because they're going to go to the island yeah, right, yeah. where Baron Samandi is. And we get to meet Quarrel Judia. I love Bond's removable black trousers and reversible jacket. Oh, you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's better than the denim look. He's got some good looks. So, so we get like, I get we get a uh, cuts between Solitaire explaining to Kananga that Bond's approaching the mm -hmm. island, and then we cut between shots mm -hmm. of him approaching the island. Let's be honest, she's out of a job now, right? In the modern world, because she's like, the plane is arriving, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I've got a nap. He tells me that. <laughs> That is true, yes. Yeah, I don't need you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he goes to the island and he sees well, her, meets her again for the second time. Yeah. And yeah. so <laughs> this little switcheroo with the with the cards that he pulls on her. Oh, so all the cards are marked as lovers, That's right? right. So that he yeah. can uh, <clears throat> do the business. Well, let's... let's uh... Let's investigate this and be a little further to Bond. Maybe he's just using that to win her over, not to actually get her into bed. Maybe because he's thinking of the mission. Yeah, yeah, you can you could say that. All I'm saying is that with hindsight looking back on it now, it doesn't play very well, does it? No, no, and I'm surprised I could say that with a straight face, to be honest. <laughs> Why? That it's about the mission. All right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing very good in this episode, Colin. You're stretching a lot, you know, to, to give me explanations for things. I know, to justify the uh, actions of Bond. W when did he get these made? Or does he always carry them around in his back pocket just on the off chance? Ah, always has them. Tarot cards, big in the 70s. He's got to meet somebody. <laughs> so he's always got them in his back pocket, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, always. We didn't see him with Rosie earlier. He probably tried it on her. That's true, that's true. I hope he cleared them up afterwards, though. Otherwise, she's going to find them, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Well, he keeps them in a secret place. Ah, okay, okay. 
So we get a scene in bed, and Bond realises that Solitaire doesn't know anything, so he just gets up in a bit of a huff and starts to put on his trousers, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, but before that, Solitaire's, like, talking about how her powers could be diminished. But Bond has the face of, like, a husband whose wife doesn't talk to him all day long, but the moment they go to bed, doesn't stop chatting <laughs> about things. And he just wants to get some sleep. Especially after what he's just done. Yeah, because he's like, oh, oh <laughs> go on then. I'm talking. So today at the office. earlier over yeah. dinner. Yeah. <laughs> dinner, you didn't want to say a word. Yeah, yeah, like, don't say a word to you all day long. Then the minute you go to bed, she starts talking. <laughs> you're like, oh, I've got fucking sleep. Why don't you talk to me earlier? <laughs> we spent the day in the same fucking room. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. I get it. I get where you're coming from. Yes, I can't. I can't get sleep. No, I can, though, if you'd shut the fuck up. So he gets up and he's going to put his trousers on because he thinks like he's not going to get anything out of her, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. he's put a lot into. He's her. put a lot into it, but there's there's no <laughs> nothing coming back. Um, nope. But he, he's going to go, and then she makes it clear that she's up for another another go around, and then instantly the shirt's back off, and he says the line, "There's no sense going off half cocks." <laughs> Quite amusing. He does indeed. Yeah, yeah. Roger probably gets gets a lot of the best lines, I think, in in his Bond movies. Don't you think? If if you like those kind yeah. of lines, then yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And a lot of that's very much tailored to, I think, his sense of humor. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think I I think I read that they had to rewrite the script. Yeah. To, to bring them up. I mean, they existed to a certain degree in the Sean Connery films and they got more as he went mm. on. But this is like extreme. And they got more, even more extreme towards the view to a kill oh days. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then Living Daylights. They're in Living Daylights because the script was written for Roger Moore. Doesn't work though, does it? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't work at all. Though. <laughs> No, um, that was the one that I, the 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 scene that that it feels the most forced in Living Daylights is the car chase. You know when he's using the gadgets. Yes, because it, it, yeah, it just yeah. feels completely out of place in the movie. That whole bit, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I don't think Dalton's comfortable no. delivering those lines. He doesn't lines. seem it. No, no, no. And I think in. To the point where when they do it in License to Kill, he kind of just tosses it off, doesn't he? Like um, when the guy comes through the wall and he's been speared by it by the forklift truck and he kind of just says, oh, he looks like he's come to a dead end. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, they, they did less in it for License to Kill because they knew who the yeah. actor was. But yeah. yeah, I agree. So then Bond and Solitaire go to the drug farm. Yeah, they and, do. And they're being watched by Scarecrow cameras that have... Built-in guns, so yeah, just shooting. Um, what was it with the seventies and cameras in jungles? We've seen this recently. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe you know, it was a it was a fashion thing back then. Yeah, was there a, a problem with privacy in cameras in forests and woods? 
<laughs> Perhaps there was. I don't know. Anyone from the seventies wants to tell cam- us? You know, let us know. Yeah, because there's cameras in woods in our previous episode. In the beast must die. That's right. There was and microphones. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You only just realized that's what I yeah, was I, talking about. You were about. saying it, and I'm thinking, was there? What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I did, I did wonder why there was a complete you, blank what, look on what, your what face. You must, what you need to, 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 to realize, Colin, is that once we've done that episode, that's done. That gets info dumped out of my mind. I don't actually remember anything about it. Usually it's me that doesn't remember the ones we've done. <laughs> Usually you're like, I'm like, let's do this film. And you're like, uh... We did that two years ago. Yeah, that is true. That that is a conversation. And I'm that like, has did happened. we? Yes. <laughs> hey, if it was left up to me, we'd be doing Blue Thunder every week. <laughs> and I'd be more than happy to do Blue Thunder every week. Nobody would yeah, listen, but yeah. I haven't watched that since the last time we did the podcast. I should watch that again. I mean, I've been waiting. Like this is what happens when we do a podcast. Is like you tend to not want to watch a film, but also. You kind of waited for the 4K to come out because that gives you an excuse to watch it again. It's funny you should say that because I had the exact same thought about it the other day. Yeah? Yeah, and I was looking over and I, looked, I saw it on the shelf and I thought, you know what, I haven't seen that since we did it four years ago, yeah. whenever it was. <laughs> yeah. But then in the back of your mind, it's like, Kino are bound to do a 4K of that any moment now. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. <laughs> bound to happen. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. So we I'm get... still waiting for Run- I'm still waiting for Runaway to be released over here. Nope. Really? So have yeah, you not got really. the Have you not got the copy that I've got then? Nope. The Screen One Hundred One. Nope. Not one. got that one. You haven't got that one. All oh, right. Nope. Okay. Well, now now I'm at the point where I'm like, Are they going to do a four K of Runaway? <laughs> <laughs> and then you think they're not going to do a four K of Runaway. That would be stupid. And then you look and go, Return of the Swamp Thing in four K. Superhero well, movie, though. They, yeah, yeah, maybe they will do Runaway. You never know. You never know. I mean, I'm surprised it was even released on Blu-ray, to be honest. But... Yeah, yeah. Can you know if you're listening? Runaway. 4K. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. All our new Twitter followers, get on it. <laughs> yeah. Start a campaign. Yeah. So um, we get the chase with an old double-decker bus. It's a good chase, and I like the bus idea. Yeah, apparently they got uh, an actual London bus driver for this because they're trained in how to drive these things without in wet conditions without it tipping over. Oh, okay. I know it seems strange. Yeah, I'm glad. It does seem strange that you would do that because like, you think any stunt driver would be able to, mm. be able mm-hmm. to do it. But you're surprising. I, I watched a, a thing. It must have been a Blue Peter thing about how much angle a double-decker bus can take before it falls over. All right. Yeah, quite a lot, surprisingly. Oh, well, there you go. You learn something every day. It wasn't in relation to this movie, was it? Or... No, that's an interesting point. Maybe it was. Oh, okay. Maybe it was a Bond Oh, wait, thing. no. It, no, it couldn't have been because it's 73. I would have been dead. I would have been alive. <laughs> You'd have been dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be very bad. If I'm not born, I'm dead, aren't I? I don't think you, I don't think you're technically dead if you're not born yet, Colin. Is it pre-life? Pre-life, yes. You're 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 out there in the ether waiting to be born, Colin. I am. I'm, I'm a sperm somewhere in the imagination. Oh God! <laughs> Swimming around. 
Yes. The big thing, it could be you. <laughs> or is that the lottery? <laughs> Either way, you shit out of luck, aren't you? Uh, what? If I'm not chosen or if I am chosen? Well, you were chosen. I mean, look at what you've got. I know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm in the same boat, Colin. It's like that joke. I can't believe you're the sperm that made it. (laughs) Constitution, you say? What, the American? No, 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 my constitution. I think think that's the right to bear arms. Is that the same? (laughs) You're a sperm. You haven't got any arms. Or is it the right to arm burrs? I can never remember. (laughs) So Bond refers to solitaire as merchandise, doesn't he? He literally says the word merchandise. But that's because that's the way she's viewed up by Kananga, right? Yeah, but it just it, it feels a bit icky, don't you think? Do you think Soldier is the worst female Bond character in all the movies? <clears throat> well, I know this means like you're trying to think through twenty odd films well, now. The one that, the one that, it is a hard question. The one that comes that instantly popped into my head was. Christmas Jones, is it? In um, The World Is Not Enough? But even she is a scientist. Yeah. Yeah. It's no Carrie Lowell. No Pam Bouvier. <laughs> That's all I can say. See, that character would have worked in in the modern era, wouldn't it? Pam Bouvier. Yes. To kill. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's the character that could have a spin-off oh, absolutely. film series. Yeah. Yeah. But they've got this weird thing, haven't they, about not spinning characters off, I think. So, um... How do you feel about the airplane scene that we get to? The the one where he, he hitches a ride with someone who's learning how to fly. Mm-hmm. It's a good scene. I like it. Yeah, I think it, it, it sets out its stall for what the Moor... Moor? Moor? Hey up, lad. What the, Moor! Hey up, Roger, Roger Moor! Yeah, it sets out its stall for, for what the Roger Moore era is going to be, I think. it's um, So it's like a... Uh, it's a comedy moment with a flight student mrs bell isn't it and um he's got lines like he says oh we'll just wing it and things like that um the stunt works very good yeah it is Mm -hmm. yeah i like the uh, bit where they he drives through the hangar and they're closing the doors and the wings fall off Mm -hmm. well they're not cut off basically and they they hit the people that are standing there (laughs) yeah and you get a real sense of uh, Roger Moore's personality coming through in the in in this bit, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's there's a, a story about the planes because Colby said, "Oh, I know where you can get like planes that are, are used and no good for like five hundred dollars." And they got these planes, and the production designer was like, oh, "You can't use these on seed. We're gonna have to like dress them up, and it cost them like five grand." Oh, God. <laughs> to like make these planes usable. So he had to like show him that it would have been cheaper to buy planes that were actually usable rather than buy old planes that you then had to make screen ready. And, and you're considering the fact that your budget was seven million. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do. It did amuse me that Felix is constantly in this movie having to clean up Bond's messes afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> it does because he's on the phone, yeah. isn't he? At the next scene, like trying to like placate the person yeah. on the other end. Yeah, it's quite funny. I was I was yeah. I was gutted when Agent Strutter was killed at a funeral there. We've, yeah, you've discussed you mm-hmm. like that one. Although we never see it, yeah. we just assume it. That's what happened. Well, I actually like that you don't see it. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I think that's that's quite good way of doing it because you know what happens because you've seen the scene mm-hmm. earlier. No need to repeat it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Bond takes Felix back to the nightclub. Yeah, he does, and they and Bond doesn't want to sit at the table against the wall, which is spun round earlier. Yeah, doesn't he say? I, I had a I had a bad that's turn. It, yeah. <laughs> at that table, something like that. Yeah. So they sit in the center, mm-hmm. uh, and we get. But then Felix gets a call. And that's the that's right. And we get a, a, a sort of weird sort of meta moment where the lady on the stage is singing the theme tune to the movie. Yeah, yeah. Not my favourite interpretation of this song. No, it's very sort of 70s lounge singer version of it, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So Bond gets sucked down into the into the floor this time, doesn't he? Yeah. And, and he's he strapped does. to a chair and Kananga reveals himself. A, a he, he, he take peels off his fake Mr. Big. Yeah, oh, okay. Because <laughs> right. a very different film. And this is where when um, Teehee's trying to take off Bond's watch to give it to Kananga, Bond calls him Butterhook. And apparently that was improvised by Roger Moore on the day. Yeah. Oh, was it? It wasn't in the script. The, the guy taking it, he does give a reaction. Yeah, thinking mm-hmm. about it, he does. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But my my feeling was, is Butterfingers an American phrase? Would any of the Americans have yeah. known what that means? I was that is true. Possibly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. It's a uh, it's a really good scene between Salazar and Kananga after Bond's taken away there. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, um, yeah. He's got Yafik Koto's got a real sense of it's almost tender at first, isn't he? Because you feel like he's really hurt by what she's done. Right. And then it, it, it's really yeah. jarring when he just slaps her across the face. Because it comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? Yeah. So at the crocodile farm. Yes. Yes, crocodile yeah. and alligators, Paul. Don't be racist. Apparently, even just being on that bridge was dangerous. As apparently, they could jump from the water. And did, apparently. Did they? Mm-hmm. It wasn't, wasn't, they leaped? Yeah. Uh, and uh, the crocodile wrangler and stuntman that did the running across the backs of the crocs, he took six takes to do it in, and he was paid $60,000 for the stunt. Not enough. Not enough, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> no. Have you seen that footage where he slips? Oh, yeah, yeah, and apparently he ended up with 103 stitches in his leg and face. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. No, no thanks. I mean, no, you, they wouldn't even do it with a real crocodile. Well, they probably wouldn't be allowed to now, would they? No, it'd be CGI crocodiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it looked like crap. It would. It would. It'd float across it. But again, I'm going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Go on then. Feeding him to the crocodiles? Why don't they just shoot him? I mean, it's a great moment. Yeah, yeah. You're really ruining Bond films, aren't you? Because this <laughs> could apply to all of them. I'm just being devil's advocate. I know it could apply to all. But it, it seems more obvious in this one. Yeah, you sit down, you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to this Bond film. Oh, is that it? Is he dead? Oh. Uh, he is now. Right, well, uh, okay. Yeah, he is now. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The next that's, a, that's a stupid ending. It is a stupid ending. It is. There's no. It, no. It's just done. Yeah, it was just. It was just done to get bums on seats. That's all it was yeah, done. It's a, it's a conversation for another day. I know. 
the whole scene with uh, with the crocodiles and uh, it's played so well by Roger Moore. You can see that he's always he's worried as a character. <laughs> yeah, 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 because yeah, he's surrounded by alligators or crocodiles. Exactly, but but he's always calm, and you can see the thought process going on as just how he's going to get out of this. Because he tries a couple of things, doesn't he? And and. Yeah, I really like that he uses the uh, magnetic power of his watch to pull that metal boat towards mm-hmm. him, but it doesn't work because it's tied up. Because mm-hmm. at first you're like, oh, he's going to use the gadget like he does in all the Bond films, mm-hmm. and then he doesn't. Yeah. So he has That's to. pretty good. He has to think on his feet, literally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is another thing that's great about this period of Bond films that I think is lacking with modern Bond films. He can't just call somebody. He's not got that voice in his ear, has he? I hate that in modern Bond films, mm. where he's like, oh, I'm a man on my own. Oh, no, I'm not, because I've got an earpiece or a cell phone I could just use to call everybody. And they're watching everything on satellite so they can see exactly yeah. where he is at all times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. like that either. Yeah. Give me Bond, a man on his own, trying to get the job done. That's all you need. Yep. 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 Uh, and then we get the boat chase which has some really good stunt work in it and um, qu- quite a few good sight gags as well. I'm thinking of in particular when the boat lands in that guy's swimming pool when he's just sat yes. in his garden. Yes. Quite a good gag. You know what it, You know what it's missing, though? Go on. An animal double take. <laughs> we haven't quite got there yet, have we? No, okay. no. Not far to that yet. No, no, no pigeon yet. We don't even no. get the drunk guy yet. No, he hasn't been cast. Not yet, no. He's coming, though. He's coming. Yeah. Um, this is where Roger Moore actually suffered an injury during this, didn't he? Yeah, he broke some teeth. Yeah, he broke some te- cracked some teeth and he twisted his knee because he crashed the yeah. boat into a boathouse. Yeah. And yeah. you can see it's him driving it in quite a lot of the shots as well. Which is surprising. Exactly, for Roger. <laughs> Not just for Roger, for insurance purposes for the film. Definitely, yeah. Um, he, uh, he carried but on. Then they, he went. He could finish the scene because the scene following that they were going to film just involved him sitting in a boat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have a lot of luck, really, did he? Like physically, I mean, with these kidney stones and his dysentery, and then cracking his teeth and and twisting his knee on this movie. Does. Does any Bond actor? I don't know, but it's funny because I don't hear anything about Sean Connery or Timothy Dalton, but Daniel Craig had injuries. Yeah, he's talked about broken fingers and things like that, hasn't he? Yeah. In all, yeah. in all fairness, though, you'd make sure that Sean Connery didn't get hurt because he'd sue the ass off you, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's right, yeah. yeah. Your studio would be done. You would... <laughs> yeah. I, have they never heard of doubles? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very popular back then. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So next we get um Clifton James as Sheriff J.W. Pepper. Yep. Oh dear. Now <laughs> whenever I think about this character, mm-hmm. in my memory, he's always in the film more than he actually is. Do you not think that might be because it's such a big performance, isn't it? Big is generous. <laughs> you don't like it? No, I'm surprised you like it. Why? I just don't think it's the kind of thing you'd like. I think it's 
So you... yeah, I, I I think it's great. I think it's um, I mean he's he's cheering it up with the best of them, and right. he's his own character. He's his own main character, lead character in his own movie. You know, um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I I think it's 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 a it's a fun moment, and he gets to reprise it, doesn't he, in um, Man with the Golden Gun as well. <sighs> yeah, he does. <laughs> In my head as well, I always um, like to imagine that he's kind of playing the same character in Superman 2, because he is. It's the same writer. Oh, there you go then. (laughs) Mankiewicz was involved in Superman Mm -hmm. 2. Yeah, I'd I'd happily watch a a side character spin-off comedy series with Sheriff J.W. Pepper. You don't find him obnoxious with his chewing tobacco and spitting and... I don't know, it's... Well, he's supposed to be... His casual racism. Well, yeah. But, I mean, he's supposed to be obnoxious, isn't he? That's the point of him. He is. Yeah. All right. I'm not not a big fan. And also, in my mind, it's weird because I feel like he's playing on the Smokey and the Bandit idea. But... You then discover that all those films came years later. Maybe they were playing off this character. Or, or maybe that's just a general stereotype. Mm. Yeah, maybe. That's probably yeah. more the case. Yeah. We do... All, all right, well, clearly it's, it's a bigger hit for you. No, I, I, I think it's quite funny. Um, we almost get the first instance of the F-bomb in a Bond movie, decades before Dame Judi Dench dropped one in Skyfall. Yeah, Feldekar, that's the one. right? Little yeah. little uh, Jane Seymour link there to Battlestar Galactic. It's almost like I knew what I was doing. I know, almost. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is, I know, and when you talk about the casual racism, I know what you mean because it is slightly uncomfortable when you hear Billy Bob refer to one of Kananga's henchmen as boy. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, there's quite a bit of that in this film, isn't there? There is, but I also assume that's poking fun at that kind of character and that time and period in American history. Yeah, it, it's nowhere near as bad as Bond in Octopussy giving a Indian guy loads of money and then saying to him, oh, that'll keep you in curry for a while, won't it? Now you laugh, yeah. but... <laughs> but yeah. You know. Yeah. At least, at least in this film, it's not Bond doing exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly, yeah. So we're rapidly coming towards the finale of the film. Yeah, and and let's be honest, the last half hour is just chase after chase. Yeah, pretty much. Um, He goes to the the island to uh, rescue Solitaire, who's captured. And got to say, black turtleneck on Bond. You know, I like a turtleneck. Yeah, you like you do like your black turtle. Looks good. Yeah. Looks good. Although, it, Did, oh wait, I've never seen you actually wear one. Well, have you not got loads of them? Nick? Why have you got loads of them? Because I like a turtle. Nick. You just got like you just got a closet with them on hangers, like bloody Captain Kirk <laughs> in the. Uh, <Star-Trek. laughs> I, I do actually, <laughs> Colin. Yes. Yeah, really? yeah. My wife will tell you. <laughs> I do like a turtle. But you don't wear them. I've never seen you wear. Well, them. I'm not gonna... Do you wear it for work? I, I wear them casually. Oh. You know. Do you just wear it when you're doing your cat burglary? Me what? I've never burgled a cat. Your cat. 
Oh, yeah, but you fiddled with a few. <laughs> I don't know if that's worse than uh, what you said before. Which, yeah, I don't know if that which, is. Yeah. For people listening, I've cut <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> If you pay if you pay five dollars for Patreon, you get the uncut version. Oh, I don't even know if we should put out uncut versions of our episodes. No, probably shouldn't. No, no. Um, yeah, black turtlenecks got loads of them. Love them. It's well, uh, yeah. No, no. Sorry, going back to that. When do you actually wear them? If I go out in the winter or whatever, you know, I go outside. They're not something you wear for indoors, what? is it? You know. No, no. I accept that, but. Where, where are you going in winter where you're wearing your turtleneck? You know, if I go to town or whatever, you know, cinema. So you, so you put on a black turtleneck. What pants do you wear? Sometimes black, sometimes, you know, jeans. So so you're wearing all black? Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a black jacket as well. Black jacket mm-hmm. to go to the cinema? Sometimes. In fact, that's how I, I, I was dressed the other day when we went to see Black Adam. You think, fuck, do you think you are, Shaft? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just it's the way I feel. I feel comfortable, you know, turtleneck. You, you feel comfortable wearing black. You like funerals? Do I, do I like funerals? Probably yeah. they're all right, as long as it's not mine. No, no, no. Yeah. well, I mean... Do you like your own funeral? Not sure. You can't really enjoy it, can you? Who knows? Oh, no. Come I don't. Huh? Mm. Okay, yeah. yeah. If, if you're way inclined, you could come back as a ghost and enjoy it. Well, I suppose which one of us goes first can tell. come back and tell the other one, can't they? No, because they don't exist. Fair enough. Okay, right. <laughs> I killed that one. D- 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 did it feel wrong to you seeing Bond carrying a huge magnum instead of his Walther? Not my choice of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> you, you prefer Crunchy Blast? I don't even know what that is. Is that a new ice cream? The Crunchy that's, that's Blast. Beyond my time. I'm, I'm, I'm still in... Remember, I, I've lived here for 20 years. I'm still into big feasts. <laughs> oh, we've got them as well. We still got that. Oh, we got we got the big feast. I, I bet they're smaller. I bet they're smaller. Probably than they were. I bet the chocolates tinier. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right there. Yeah. Nah. So, what's the point of the robotic Baram Sam Samedi that comes up from the ground? No idea. I mean, it's a distraction, I guess, but I've no idea. Mm. I mean, it's clearly not robot. It's the actor playing it, <laughs> but. Until he gets his yeah, but then shot. he shoots it, and yeah. it's just a statue kind of thing. It's quite convincing when those, when those eyes roll up into his, and he looks up at the top of his head that's been blown off. Yeah, it's good. It's a good yeah, effect, is, but yeah. I don't get it. No, makes no sense. There's no need for it either. It's just a gag, isn't it? That they came up with. It's not like you sat back and went, you know what this needs? <laughs> needs a fake robotic yeah. Baron. <laughs> yeah, uh, quarrel. Junior plants charges and he blows up the poppy fields. And that forces the real Baron to come up from the ground. And he tries to take on Bond and he ends up in the box of snakes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bond then goes down into Kananga's lure. And there's a few fight scenes. I do like how Moore handles himself in these fight scenes. I suppose it's a bit stagey by today's standards, but he sells it really well, doesn't he? This one's better than the one in the alleyway. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. The fight in the alleyways, he swings round 
on a fire escape <laughs> and his legs hit one of the guys, but they both fall down unconscious. <laughs> and he, he doesn't even swing around with much force either, does he? Oh, no, it's a casual swing. It's a casual swing. swing. He's that good. Yeah, it's, ca- it's the kind of swing you'd see on the dance floor. Yeah. Not in a fight. No. But I think, I think he carries himself pretty well for the most part. Roger. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as underground lures go in Bond movies, Kananga's is a bit on the low budget side, don't you think? Do you think they ran out of money by this point? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is a, this is a, well, I mean, we're talking seven million mm. for the whole film. Mm-hmm. I mean, usually at this point of the Bond film, we've got a hundred guys running around. Yeah. You just explosions going off. Yeah, you miniatures everywhere. You've kind of just got that one fat guy, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. The, the gag with the inflatable sofa was fun, though. Yes, yes, and I like the fact that he thought he was going to be shot. Too. Yeah, yeah, and it sets up what's going to yeah, happen in a minute as well, doesn't it? Yeah, but coming to that, unfortunately, <laughs> Kananga's uh, demise is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, the scene leading up to it with Solitaire attached to the winch and, and Bond and Kananga cutting into Bond's arm and the, the blood going into the water. And then finally, mm-hmm. we finally get a payoff with the magnetic watch as well. Yes. It's got a spinning um, blade on it as well, hasn't it? Yeah. But when they fight and fall into the, into the water and Bond forces that compressed pellet into Kananga's mouth and he explodes with the sound of a wet, a wet fart going off, doesn't he? It's... <laughs> It's not good, is it? It's not, but it, I remember as a kid it was fun. <laughs> it, was it fun because it looked ridiculous? I mean, it looks like a big inflatable man, doesn't it? Because that's what it is. I don't I don't think I thought it was ridiculous when I was a kid and watched it. No? I can't imagine this no, not ever so. looking ridiculous. Did you think it was ridiculous? Do you remember sitting there thinking it was ridiculous when you were a kid? I don't remember, no, but I'm, I, I can't imagine that, that you didn't get a chuckle when when you saw this as a kid. No, you enjoyed it. Oh, no, I'm not saying it. And I enjoy it now. I'm just saying it looks ridiculous. And Bun likes inflating people and watching them explode. He does. He does. Yeah. Li- uh, License to Kill comes to mind. Bit bit more yes. gruesome. Yeah. In the American version, in the UK version, it was cut. That's right, and I didn't see I didn't see that version until they all got released on Blu-ray years later. Mm. Mm-hmm. But the film isn't quite finished yet, is it? As we get a fight on the train between Bond and Teehee. pretty good fight. Yeah, you'd, you'd think Bond would be wary of trains <laughs> by now. Well, I was going to say, you know, it, it's a pretty good fight. And it's so good that they sort of repeat it in Spy Who Loved Me with Jaws, don't they? And it's been in a previous Bond film, uh, too. From, are you thinking from Russia With Love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, they don't do trains, Bond. Isn't there even a fight on a train inspector with that guy from, um, what's he, is it Dave Batista from Guardians of the Galaxy, that guy? Fights him on the train, doesn't he? On top, there's a fight on top of a train in... Skyfall. Uh, oh, my God. Skyfall. Mm. No, I'm sure Inspector, because he wraps a rope around his neck, doesn't he? And then it drags him out of, of the train. You know what? I'm just beginning to think Bond should not take trains. <laughs> Simple as that. That's true. That's true. It, it is always fun watching uh, Bond use whatever's around him to get the upper hand in a fight, which he does in, in this train sequence. Yeah, and it's always good to see... Bond fights that are in small 
areas, like tiny compartments and rooms and elevators and things like that. One of my favorite ones is the fight in the elevator in Diamonds of Forever. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Yeah, and there's no, there's yep. literally no room to swing at all, is there? And their arms are going through the glass, and and yeah, it's a good fight. Yep, it's a good job that Teehee hid in that bag though for the correct train. Can you imagine if he got on the wrong, got in the wrong bag, and they put him on the wrong train? <laughs> <laughs> he just ended up in Philadelphia yeah. or somewhere. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> but the film ends, and we get that strange breaking of the fourth wall. Describe it, Paul. So we get a shot of the the train coming at the camp, com- coming at the camera, and um, coming towards the camera. And mm-hmm. Baron Samidi, who is dead at this point, is sitting on the front of the train, laughing into the camera. Yeah. Mm. Now, like modern days, that would be like a post credit sequence for a sequel. It would. It would. And, and apparently, the producers yeah. considered him coming back for more films. Yeah. Oh, really? That's an odd choice, because he's not really that interested a character. It's probably why it didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, probably. But but it's the first time in a Bond movie that we've had a sequence like that. It is, yeah. So add that to my list of firsts that I began this Mm. podcast with. I wonder why they did it. Do you think it was just changing times, but they could get away with that, whereas before, in the Connery era, they wouldn't be able to? Yeah, maybe. Because you couldn't imagine that in a Connery movie, could you? No, Um, no. It's got it's slightly humorous, yeah. yeah. Tongue in cheek, finished. It, it's almost the movie winking at the audience and saying, "Oh, we're all in on the joke, aren't we?" Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, and that's that's it. That's the end of uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, Paul, what did you think of Live and Let Die? <laughs> Can I do your finger. Oh shit! I hated it. No, <laughs> that's your line usually, isn't it? Yeah, it is. With a Bond movie, I always ask myself, does it give me the things that I expect to see? Does it give me action? Does it give me jokes? A good villain? And a Bond-like performance from the leading actor? For me, it does do all those things. Maybe Kananga isn't a stronger villain, and his plot isn't as world-shattering as we're used to in Bond movies up to this point. But Yafet Kota really brings kind of a weird off-kilter vibe to, to his performance, which which I liked. And right. then you've got Teehee and Baron, the Baron, the good, quirky, over-the-top henchman with gimmicks and things, which, which I always like. The weakest parts of the movie, for me, are really the female characters. There's yes. not much to them at all. And we've joked about trying to, trying yeah. to make them bigger than what they are, but you can't really. But at the end of the day, everything hangs on whether you buy Roger Moore as Bond. And for us, he's our Bond, right? Yeah, he's the Bond that we grew up watching as a kid. Yes, I agree. Um, Totally. Oddly, it wasn't a dead cert when this came out. It was 50-50 for a lot of people with Roger Moore. And I think it's a testament, really, to Connery and what he'd done previously, that it wasn't just a straightforward sell for Roger Moore to an audience. <clears throat> but I love Roger Moore's humour. I love that little twinkle in his eye that tells us that we're all part of the joke in the movie. He can do the dramatic stuff when he needs to, though, and, you know, he's he's good. He he, he sells a cold-blooded agent thing. It's all there in his performance if you look for it. He's not just this... this it really annoys me how it's become kind of popular to dismiss Roger Moore's Bond movies as kind of campy silliness 
which they are, but there's more to them than that. Yeah. And it's really Roger Moore's films that started off the modern age of Bond, I think. Wouldn't you say? Um, you know, with the big action set pieces that get bigger with every movie. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess so. The Spy mm-hmm. Loved Me is the yeah. biggest one, really. And then they right? felt like they had to top yeah. it every time, I think. And that, they still do that now, don't they? Yeah. What's wrong with having humour in your Bond movie? Uh-oh. I feel the rats <laughs> no, coming out. No. What, what's wrong with having a bit of craziness and a bit of wit to it all? You, you can still do that and still make a serious movie. You know, you just find the right balance, which 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 this yeah. movie does, I think. So I really like this film. And as an introduction to a new Bond, to a new era of Bond, it does its job. Uh, yeah. So for me, it's a no-brainer. It's a hit. Good. One of the interesting things about this film is that for me, it's one that has lessened over the years. Whereas a Bond film like mm-hmm. Goldeneye has actually gone the other direction right. for me. You're appreciating that more now as you, you're going on. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't, I don't think I really liked Goldeneye when I first. No, saw it. I, I remember you didn't. <laughs> yeah. I remember. And, and now yeah. I do. I love Roger Moore, mm-hmm. so I don't have a problem with him in the role. And yes, I do think he defined. Bond for that period. And yes, I agree that to take Bond as a serious character and make it dark, dramatic, and gritty, to a certain extent, is a little silly. Mm -hmm. They never really followed the books in any way whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So they weren't going for that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which have their own issues and problems as well. But don't get me wrong, I do like this film, mm-hmm. and it is a hit. I don't think it's Roger Moore's best Bond film, though. Would you say that's probably The Spy Who Loved Me? Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think, I think that's where all the ingredients come together. But I don't think The Spy Who Loved Me would exist without this Bond film. Mm-hmm. Bec- not because it follows on, but because they've taken everything that Roger Moore can do and all the elements mm. and they've finessed it into the spiral of it. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't, um, they kind of lose their way a bit in the next one, don't they, I think? Yeah, and while I like Fiore Eyes Only, I think that's also a, a problematic Bond film because that's, that's such a kickback from Moonraker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that they thought, oh my God, we need to do something really serious. Yeah. And you're like, no, no, you don't really need to, that's not Roger Mars' forte. Don't do that. No, no. I mean, you don't have to set it in space, mate, but don't <laughs> go too serious. Well, that, that was something I was I was going to ask you then, because we, the only other Roger Moore Bond movie that we've done, and we've quite we've done quite a few Bond movies up to this point, is Moonraker. Yeah. So, is which do you prefer, this or Moonraker? Oh gosh, that's a tricky. That's that's very tricky. Um. This one. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I would go Moonraker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You would go Moonraker. Can, do, do you know why? It, just... I just have such a good time watching Moonraker. Okay. I mean, I had a good time with this just one, but, but Moonraker just, just, just blows it out of the water for me. Is it the space elements? No, or is it just the ridiculous. fact that Roger Moore is yeah. he's, so relaxed in the character of Bond at that point? He's settled in. So, like, that's, that's peak before it tails off. I think so, yeah. I think okay. Spy Love Me and Moonraker for me are uh, Roger Moore at his peak. 
But Spy You Love Me is better than Moonraker. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the same plot. Yes. But <laughs> it is the same movie, <laughs> just set in space. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Right. But is it a hit, this? Yeah, it's a hit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I enjoy it. I just, for some reason, this time watching it, I had issues with it. Now, whether that's because I was doing the podcast and, mm -hmm. you know, making notes and stuff, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a hit. I think sometimes some films, you, you kind of lose something when you look at them with a more critical eye. Yeah, some films are made to be sat back and just watched. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And entertained. Mm -hmm. They're not made to be critically analysed yeah. at that deeper level. Yeah. Not that I'm saying we critically analyse things at a deep level. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not really what we do, Colin, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. I don't know why you even said that. But I think it's safe to say we both enjoyed it, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, we did. And... Uh, mm -hmm. And and I don't think the uh, Bond films would still be around today if it wasn't for Roger Moore. Absolutely. Absolutely not. But though if Lewis Collins had been Bond, might be talking a different situation. Yeah, that, that's a whole other conversation we can have at some point. I think we've had it. I think we might. Times. <laughs> yes. When we did Who Does Wins, I think we had that conversation. Yeah. 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 And every Bond film we've ever done. Pretty much. So thank you for listening. Thank you to our Patreon supporters. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. And you also check out our Spotify playlist where Paul puts up all the themes and songs from all the shows and films that we review. And can we just say as well that um, we've had a, a lot of uh, new um, followers on Twitter over the last month or so. So uh, thank you for that. Welcome. And we'll try not to disappoint you. We will. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> oh, all right. That's new. I'm usually geared to disappointing people. So am I. Yes. Yeah. On that note, goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>